Hey, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here at the Tree Church, and today we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Before we jump into it, I'm going to start going line by line and, and, and breaking down what exactly it means and what the, what the Bible and what the text is telling us. But before we do, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to learn from your word. You are so generous and magnanimous to give us your wisdom, to give us these holy texts to live our life off of, to bring us closer to you, to better glorify your name, to better edify each other. And I pray today that that's exact, exactly what would happen. I pray that we would hear these words, that we would read these words, and that they would hit home, that we would um, acknowledge the power of you, that we would acknowledge that we have a responsibility to love each other well, that we'd be reminded of the many things that you have in your word. And I pray it wouldn't stop there. I pray it wouldn't stop as reminders. God, I pray that we would be convicted. I pray that the truths that we're about to read and process, they would convict us to action. God, learning things is great. Reading the word is great, but putting it to action is even better. And I pray that that's what we would be encouraged to do today. Here's Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house, and he didn't want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. So I want to stop right there and acknowledge the tension. And it's that in this moment, Jesus is seeking privacy, a moment to himself, a time away from crowds. And that's really interesting because we are talking about God himself, Jesus, the Son of God. God himself in the form of man is taking a moment to rest. And when you think about it, it's easy to think or to assume like, why would God possibly have a desire to be, why can't he just magically be rested? Why wouldn't he want to do more ministry, more ministry, more ministry? I think there are a couple of reasons. First of all, I think Jesus was fully man. And I think being fully man, you experience full exhaustion, things that many of us have experienced in our life. And the, the one thing you need is rest. And Jesus is showing that uh, just like all humans, he's experiencing everything that we've experienced as people. And this is just another example of that. But another thing that God has always generously done is exemplified to us the way we should behave, even if it's not quite necessary for him. I think about creation and God resting on the seventh day. God is God. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to take a Sabbath. He, there's no, there's, it's not like God couldn't have accomplished what he wanted to in that amount of time. But what God did was set a creation ordinance, something pre-law, before the law of Moses, before the Ten Commandments, and the many commandments to follow, God exemplified to us of core value, which was rest. And that's what we see Jesus in this moment. I know that there are times that I've been there. I've been in that position. There are times where I'm tired. I'll come home from work. And for those of you who don't know, or I'm not, who don't know me personally, I've got three young kids and I'll come home from work and I'm tired and I feel exhausted from the day or whatever I had to do. Or, or sometimes I work out in the mornings with it, with a couple other people on staff and I'll get home from that. And as soon as I walk in the door, I've got these, these three kids and they all just start yelling, dad's home. And they'll rush into me and they want hugs and to hang out and to play catch and to build with blocks and all these things. There are times that I just feel tired. And it's hard to muster up that energy. And in those moments of being tired, when you need a second away, if you don't find time to honor that, all of a sudden those feelings and the, and the difficulty and the exhaustion just gets greater and greater and it snowballs more and more until it's not manageable. And that's the situation that we find Jesus in a moment of needing rest. And let me tell you, if you're listening to this podcast right now, if Jesus needed rest, you too need rest. You also need rest. Make sure that you make it 
the priority in your life. Verse 25, but immediately, so I just got done talking about how Jesus needed this rest, but quite literally, immediately, he's interrupted in that process of seeking refuge. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard him and came and fell down on his feet. So uh, Luke, or, or Mark, sorry, is famously brief, where it's very pointed and it's very... Um, unapologetic in the fact that, it, that it's brief in the way that it phrases things. So when you hear that, okay, a daughter of an unclean spirit, what exactly does that mean? If we actually jump over to Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, we see this same exact interaction in a little bit more detail. This woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit approaches Jesus, and she begs and petitions him. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So that gives us a little bit more of a complete picture of exactly what this lady's situation is. But here's what's interesting. She calls him Lord, Son of David. Now what that means is that she's implying that the man in front of her is the Jewish Messiah. It would be prophesied that they would have a deliverer, that they have a Messiah who would come from the lineage of David. So for him to acknowledge him of that, we can't assume that this woman knows that he is indeed of the line of David, even though he is. She's a Canaanite woman. It would be completely random and unrealistic for her to have this intimate understanding of the genealogy of this Hebrew man in front of her. But in spite of that, she calls him son of David, which at the time, this is something that not the Pharisees, um, uh, the scribes, the experts of Jewish scripture didn't even recognize who Jesus was. They didn't know him as the son of David, as the deliverer, as the Messiah, as the Lord. But this woman does. Let's go to verse 26. Now, the woman was a Gentile. Uh, a big word that I don't quite know how to say. Sio uh, Hifrican by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. So what Jesus is saying is you are a Gentile. This Canaanite woman, you're not a Jew. You're not of God's chosen people. She's saying it's not right for me to forsake and to not give to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and instead throw it to the dogs, the people who, that's how Israelites looked at Canaanites and other Gentiles at the time. They looked at them like dogs, like lesser people. And Jesus acknowledges this tension and said, how could I give to you? Why would I forsake the children by throwing away the food to the dogs? Verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So this is an interesting tension. You have this moment where this, where Jesus calls her a dog and he says, hey, I, this is what you are compared to God's chosen people. This is what you're known as. But this woman has, who the same woman who had this incredible supernatural wisdom about her to recognize that this is the Jewish Messiah, also answered this somewhat riddle-like question. She said, yes, but don't also, you know, uh, uh, the dogs get the scraps of what the children had left over. Can I not have those to heal my daughter? And what, we're, what we see in this moment is foreshadowing <clears throat> my salvation and your salvation. That might seem like quite a jump. Jesus makes this crazy statement. This woman it answers in kind of a really clever way, and, and it almost seems like a, like a quiz. Like, oh, you answered the quiz right, and now your daughter's healed. No. What we're actually experiencing is the foreshadowing of what would come in regards to everyone's salvation throughout the rest 
of time, the availability of that salvation to everybody, Jew or Gentile. Jesus acknowledges what this woman is to Hebrew people. They are dogs. They're less than. That's how the Israelites looked at them. But in spite of that, Jesus makes it clear by this single action that I did not just come for the chosen people. I did not just come for Jewish people. I didn't just come for the Israelites. I didn't. That's not who I'm here for. I am here for everybody. And this woman's recognition of this, that, that, the, that the Spirit of God must have put in her heart to understand that this is the Messiah and that, and, that, and that I too can be healed by Jesus and that my family can be healed by Jesus. This understanding proves the point to not only Jesus' followers, but to me today as I read this passage, that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, didn't come for the elite, he didn't come for the chosen. Jesus came for everybody. He came for his chosen people. He came from the people who his chosen people would consider dogs. And in this moment, Jesus exemplifies exactly the power of who he is. Because up until this moment, we think, if you're just reading the scriptures, we think the Messiah is exclusively for the, for, for, for the Hebrew people. But now everything changes. Jesus is for everybody. And to this day, that's the greatest thing any of us have. We are Gentiles. Likely, if you're listening to me right now, you're not in Israel. You're likely not somebody who has a really pure bloodline of, of Hebrew people. That could be the case, but it's likely not. For most of us, we are Gentiles. We're people that, that wouldn't call ourselves God's chosen people by nationality, by birth, whatever the case might be. But what we are is inheritors of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus turned the entire economy of salvation and the thought of what a Messiah even was on its head. Instead, and instead of keeping it for only a few, he made it for everybody, which is just so astoundingly generous. And it's just another reminder when we dive into the word of the character of Jesus and how generous he was and how gracious he was that even in this moment of exhaustion, we said, I need a break. I need a moment. And he takes refuge. Even in a moment of refuge, he decided to foreshadow and show everybody, hey, you know what? I'm tired, but right now there's a greater narrative that needs to be told. And it's that I'm not just here for the children. I'm here for the dogs. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for the Gentiles. I'm here for everybody because in my kingdom, all are welcome. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible generosity. In the eyes of you, in the eyes of your holiness, we're nothing more than dogs in, in comparison to the holiness that is God himself. But in spite of that, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of the fact that all of us have sinned and fall short of your, your glory, God, you came for us. And in, in one of the most astounding acts of generosity, you came, you lived, and you died. So I have the freedom today to read your word, to study it, to be close to you and enter into eternity and enjoy you forever. We are so grateful. And I pray that as we as we walk away from this, from this Bible study, from this podcast, that we would feel inspired, that we would feel the full weight of this truth, that you came for us. And in the same way that I prayed opening up, that if this wouldn't simply just be head knowledge, but it would be something that we would act on, it would be something that weighed heavy on our hearts and convicted us. God, I want to be convicted of the fact that you chose me. When I speak, when I pray, when I read, when I act, when I live my life, when I love my wife, when I work at my job, all these things, I want to do them with the highest character possible because they're all in servanthood to the God who loved me enough to bring me into a relationship with him when I didn't deserve it. And in all those things, I want to, I want to exemplify the, the generosity that you've showed me. In your precious name we pray, amen.